Well, welcome back to our series, Smart Book. You know, we're looking at how the Bible helps us to upgrade our lives. So as I was thinking about this this morning, I'm driving to church with my almost nine-year-old daughter, and she needed a memory card for her camera. Well, she's used to an SD card. I handed her a micro SD card. What? How can it be so small? And it was amazing to just have this conversation that you feel like, you know, when I was your age, <laughs> but it's true, right? You know, I was trying to describe for her that like sandwich-sized floppy disk that had just a fraction of what is on these little cards today, how a room full of mainframes had less power than your phone. Yeah, so whatever you think about the technology, you've got to admit, it is a pretty amazing time to be alive and to see how they can do those things. They keep getting smaller and faster and more powerful. But here's kind of what happens The other piece that goes with that is that the technology can start to take over. And we all know this, right? You know, it's the social media, it's it's Facebook, it's LinkedIn, it's all these platforms, it's email, it's text messages, it's... Hold on. Hold on. No, I'm listening, I'm just... Check this real quick. I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. What did you say? Right, it happens to all of us. And and we can all sit here and be like, I know, I know, oh yeah, I do that too. But what do we do about it? Because a lot of times that makes us turn inward. We become more self-focused. So how do we get outside of ourselves? How do we think more about others? Well, we are blessed today to have a guest speaker. Beth Guckenberger is with us. And Beth, I'll invite you to our stage. Let's give her a warm welcome. (laughs) Beth has partnered with us at Horizon to help us figure out how we serve children and families all over the world going from inside out. So Beth, thank you, thank you for thank being you, here. Thank you. Good morning, you all. It's my joy to be here. It's uh, an opportunity I get several times a year, so I don't feel like a guest anymore. I think I'm, instead of your most frequent guest, I'm your most absent family member. Um, but I, <laughs> I am grateful to be in this series, this smart book sp- series, where we'll be talking about how this book specifically and the study and understanding of it develops inside of us a serving heart Um, This is a great week for me to be in this message. You know, when anybody is up here, whether it's Chad or Drew, whoever's up here sharing, and we're we're delivering a message, we're actually talking to ourselves too. And as I was was preparing about serving, this is a great week for me to be thinking about it. I have a daughter getting married in a couple days. She'll be getting married. In fact, I woke up today and I said to my husband, five days until wedding day. And he said, oh no, I have renamed it. It's five days until move out day. So I don't don't know if any of you have ever had a child get married and move out. We have different perspectives. I was telling him last night as they were in our house, maybe this never happened to you or you haven't had any of your children grow up and get married, but kind of out the front door walks things like your lamps and your mattresses, you know. (laughs) He was like nailing to the floor our favorite furniture last night. And I was preparing this message and I said, this is just a chance for us to serve them this week. But we're going to be talking about how really when we serve other people, it's the very definition of service is we don't expect anything in return. So if I take your child to school today because tomorrow you're taking mine, I didn't serve you today. I actually just traded with you. And if I did something for you because I'm hoping somebody looks at me doing something for you, I didn't serve you. I just postured myself for someone else's benefit. Or if I give you something because I'm hoping that you like me better on the other end of it, I actually didn't serve you with that gift. I just manipulated you. And this smart book 
wants to help us avoid traps and paths of posturing and manipulation because the one who wrote it understood that those roads lead to our death and destruction. But there are all these beautiful benefits that come from a life of service where we give without expecting anything in return. It's this service is the is like just since the beginning of time there's been brokenness. There's been loss, there's been pain. And when we serve, it's our way of addressing that loss and brokenness and pain and inserting what is God's presence in the midst of it. God told us from the very beginning that's how people will know that we're different by the way that we express ourselves in love and service. It's, it's otherworldly. It doesn't make sense. Left to myself, I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. So when I serve someone else, I'm, I'm announcing there's something else going on inside of me. John 13, 35 says, By this, all will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. In 2014, I traveled with Chad and Beth and some other leaders here to Turkey as we studied that first century church spread. And this seems really basic, and I've been studying the smart book for a long time, but I had this really revolutionary aha for me, and it had to do with service while we were there, so I'll just share it with you kind of vulnerably. I thought in the, in the story that Jesus lived and died on the cross for our sins and resurrected and ascended into heaven and left us with a great commission that we were to take this good news and go all over the earth. And so those 12 disciples took that good news and began to spread it around the world to places where there was no news. But as we went into those places where the first churches were started, we got there and realized they already had news they liked a lot. They already had gods that they worshipped. They already believed that, that these gods were working on their behalf. That they, the, the disciples and God's good news was not competing against godlessness. They were competing against pagan gods. And Jesus knew that would be true. That's why he sent them with this commission and says, and they'll know, they'll know you're different. They'll know that this is the capital T truth. They'll know that this is the enduring word because of the way you'll treat each other and the way that you'll treat them. Today, we bring this gospel message and we compete against things that people worship all the time. Just today, they're not maybe Greek or foreign gods. Instead, today we worship things like power and reputation and money. And the way that we get through those messages with the capital T truth is the way that we serve and love each other. In June, I had the opportunity to travel back to Israel, and we studied this idea, this, this Hebrew concept called tikim olam, which literally means in Hebrew, to heal and repair the world. In fact, I was in Jewish hospital about a month ago, and I saw this is on, etched in the glass in their front lobby, this idea to heal and repair the world. It, it like, honestly, literally means to take crooked things and make them straight. And we live in a world today that is full of crooked roads. I mean, one, one of the first things I do in the morning, for better or worse, is look at the headlines. And when, we, when I read about the things that are broken around the world, the lines that are crooked around the world, I can understand why God has sent us as his people into the world to straighten some of those crooked paths, not because we have strength in and of ourselves, but because we represent him in that world. And there are some famous examples in the world of people who have spent their life taking crooked roads and trying to make them straight. 
think about like Mother Teresa. She's a wonderful, beautiful example. She set up her shop right outside in India of a temple where people were using children as prostitutes for worship and she would gather those children after those practices who were broken and hurting and confused and she would care for them and minister to them and feed them and love them and, and help take what someone else has twisted up and make it straight. Not in her name, but in the name of God. Think about relationships and friendships in your life. You know what it feels like when, you, when you're all twisted up. When some circumstance or relationship in your life has you all turned around and you don't know quite what to do next. When someone enters into your life and begins to serve you, things start to feel settled. There's a peace that comes into our life. There's, there's this joy. I, last time I was here with you in the spring, I told you one of my favorite passages is, comes out of Exodus chapter 25 where God is giving instructions on how to build a tabernacle to Moses. And he says to him, just make some room for me and I'll come and fill the space. That's exactly what Takim Olam is. You just go into those crooked, dark, scary, hard, confusing places and you make room for God. And then you watch him come and straighten the road. One of my most favorite stories right now I can't stop thinking about, about the testimony of a, of a man who went into a place where things were all messed up and he tried to heal and repair that brokenness, is a Polish pediatrician from the World War II era named Janusz Korsak. And he was born, he was, uh, by 1912, he was already a pediatrician. And he was um, publishing books. He was a children's author. He also wrote books for adults. And his particular area of study was on orphan children. So because, I know Drew didn't tell you totally, but that's my day job. I work with back-to-back ministries where we care for widows and orphans around the world. So this is an area that I'm particularly endeared to. And his study, you know, um, like a hundred years ago, was about how children develop best when they're in a family-like, nurturing, caring environment. And he was trying to tell people in Eastern Europe all about these theories that he was developing, but the problem was that people were like, well, the easiest way to take care of orphans is to stick them all into an institution, lying bed after bed after bed after bed, and you hurt them like cattle. You can manage the problem in that way. And he said, children aren't to be managed, they're to be parented. And as he was trying to build a platform for that argument, he decided, I'm going to just open up an orphanage in exactly the way I think they should be run. So in 1912, he opened up something called the Orphan Society, where he put kids in little family pods of eight people. And there they learned how to do things like resolve conflict within that group and care for one another and ask about their day. And he, developed, he, he had plenty of resources because of his profession and because of the royalties from his writing that he built this beautiful place for the kids to live. And then Hitler continued to increase in power. And finally, there was a point in that war where they moved anyone with a Jewish background out of Warsaw into what was called the ghetto. And as the children, about 200 of them, were moved into the ghetto, he decided to relocate his own residence into that space to be with him. He understood this idea that we're to heal and repair the world, that this is what service looks like. They continued for a couple years in that ghetto as Hitler's um, power continued to rise. And then one day in 1939... no, 1939 is when they moved to the ghetto. In 1942, sorry, on August 5th, 1942, there was a knock at the little makeshift door of their ghetto orphanage. And they were completely surrounded by SS officers. And they told the doctor that it was time for them to board the train, that 
12 staff, 205 kids, and himself would be escorted to a concentration camp. He told them to give him a minute. He gathered all 200 of those children together and he told them they were going to go on a journey together and that they were to put on their very best clothes and to find their very favorite toy or book. As the kids got ready kind of excitedly for what it was that was next, they boarded a train. They traveled to the edge of a concentration camp. As they got to the gate, one of the officers recognized Dr. Korchak and said, you're the author of my child's favorite children's book. I'll tell you what, there's no way we want you to lose your life today. Get the children in and we'll get you out. You do not have to die today. And the last words that Dr. Korchak is recorded as having said as he looked at that officer and the ones that had gathered behind him. And he said, you don't leave a child in distress. And off that day he went and they were never heard from again. And there's something to me beautiful that here we are 80 years later and his testimony and his story is inspiring to me that, that we have this, this tradition, this, this wake, this opportunity to lay our life down, some, some physically. I mean, he gave his entire life. He followed that Matthew 20, 28 verse that says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, most of us probably won't have to give our physical life for someone else. We do. We are asked to lay our life down, to sacrifice things like convenience and comfort, to, to take a sacrificial phone call to, to, make, to make time in our day for people whose roads are feeling crooked to, to enter into their space. And God actually literally wired us to enjoy it. He literally designed our brains to enjoy it. You know, like when you're having a bad day, you're like kind of feeling down about whatever. Our tendency is to treat ourselves at that point, right? To gift ourselves something so that we'll feel better. But science actually says that when we do something for somebody else, we get twice the dopamine through our brains. It's what they call the helper's high. We actually feel better when we serve somebody else. It's how God made us. And that's why he tells us in the smart book, hey, do what it is I say because it's actually the way I made you to be. This is how I created this system. This week I was in... Mazatlan, Mexico, at one of the back-to-back -back sites serving with the Tim Tebow Foundation. And their foundation has a particular heart for kids with special needs. So we spent a few days in a special needs orphanage. And the kids in that particular orphanage have multiple handicaps. It's difficult to take them out of the children's home into the city. And we wanted to do something really fun with them one afternoon. So um, I got the bright idea to rent these big inflatables. I'm not really sure we even have them in the United States. There's, there's no way they're like OSHA safe, but like they're these big inflatable like slides that have water that go down them and you basically land on what is essentially concrete, but it's like a kiddie pool. And we got this thing all set up and the electrical cords and all that. And we were, I was helping carry some of the kids that are incapable of, of movement on their own up this inflatable slide and that's not an easy task and then we were kind of awkwardly sliding down what felt like a five-story probably more like two-story slide and then we were landing I was underneath them we were landing on that concrete inside of a pool that with every hour in the afternoon it got warmer if you know what I mean and and uh 
there is, there is no reason. I looked over at one of my friends halfway through it. I'm like, I have spent four hours in what is essentially a pee pool, and this is like the best afternoon I've had all summer. Like, there is no, it was hard, it was uncomfortable, I was bruised, I was scratched, I was exhausted, I was probably infected. Like, there's so many reasons why it shouldn't have been that great, but, but I, my brain was flooding with dopamine because I was serving somebody else. According to medical journals, it says, performing random acts of kindness helps boost our psychological health by activating the release of dopamine, that feel-good neurotransmitter in the brain, often referred to as the helper's high. This is based on the theory that giving produces endorphins in the brain that mimic a morphine high. Self-esteem increase and symptoms of depression decrease from becoming an important part of a solution for a person that is in need. Feel-good hormones like serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins, and dopamine are released when a person sees a direct positive result on behalf of their efforts. Those are like, it's, it's like a part of who we are. It actually feels good. But there's this thing that stops us. Like, we have those those thoughts, right? You have those like little promptings, like I should make a meal for my neighbor because their spouse is out of town or because they just had a surgery or a baby. Or you, you have these like promptings, I should do this for my, someone in your immediate family because I have intimate knowledge about the fact that they're having a hard week and this extension of myself on their behalf would be meaningful. Or I should do this for someone at work. Like we have these promptings, but sometimes we don't follow through on them. And the chief culprit for why we don't follow through on them is this is this sense of shame that sits on top of us. Shame says like I'm not good enough to do something for them or I'm not I don't have anything like in common with them and I don't really have anything to offer them and they're not really going to understand and and I mean who am I and what if this isn't an, like Shame is this disconnector, it's this disruptor, and it plays in our mind this tape that that stops us from doing some of the things that God is prompting us to do, to bring tikim alam, to to heal and repair the peace of the world that we're walking around in. There's a story, I'm going to try to say it without saying any of the right words, if I do, just erase the tape, but there's a church here in Cincinnati from a really nice community that was coming a couple years ago on a trip with Back to Back. And I was receiving them in Mexico and they got off the bus and I said to the pastor, did you tell them they were coming to a timeshare? Because they look pretty good. Like, I'm like, somebody forget to tell them they're on their way to a mission trip. And he said, well, I can't believe any, we got anybody to come. We've been planting as a church uh, a new congregation in the inner city of Cincinnati all year, and I can't get any volunteers to come out and help with us. I cannot believe we got this many people to get on an airplane and come on a mission trip. Good luck with them this week. I was like, okay, we had our work cut out for us. He said, this is my last week with this congregation. Starting next month, I'll be full-time with the church in the inner city. And I said, okay, well, let's see what, let's see what God has for us this week. It was a great week in all the ways that mission trips are. People come together and they see the best in each other. And, they, and, and shame doesn't have any authority in a place like that. And all of a sudden you realize you have all kinds of things to offer that you didn't realize. And you have all things and kinds of things in common with people that you didn't realize you did. You are more than enough because of who he has. Like all these messages get kind of lifted up and unite a team and we had a great week they go home to Cincinnati and a couple months later I was here visiting and I was speaking at their church 
And after church, we had a lunch for everybody who had been on that trip. And I circled everybody up after the lunch, and I said, tell me, like, what have been your action steps? How have you lived life differently as a result of the week that we shared together? And that pastor had come back that week to be with us, and he said to them, tell her, tell her what's going on. And I'm like, what's going on? And one person started and said, I drive the bus on Sunday mornings for that church, their new church plant. And I said, that's great. And someone else said, I volunteer on Wednesdays at the after-school tutoring program. And one of them said, I teach Sunday school now there. And round and round they went, all talking about the ways in which they came home and got engaged in the city of Cincinnati. And I said, what do you think, what do you think happened? Like, what's the deal? And they said, well, we didn't... We were heard the announcements last during the whole last year, but we just thought, like, what do we know about that population? And what do we have to offer? Like, I'm not very good with people, or I'm not very good with... But th- this, this barrier got broken down, and they realized that they had something to offer, and they had something in common, and they were more than enough for what God had. And as they engaged in service, service begets service. And they got all that, you know, dopamine high going on in their brain and they watch crooked roads become straight and it's actually pretty contagious because it's a helpful, beautiful way to live. When I look at that newsreel in the morning, I can think to myself, what in the world are we going to do about this world? The thing is getting darker and crazier by the hour. But when I take a, a look, a step away from that and I think about the world in which God has asked me to live and I think, in this story, I know how to offer myself. In this story, I know what to, to, how to pray. In this story, I know what I can give. When we break it down to those pieces, then all of a sudden it makes sense why the, why the smart book tells us to put someone else's needs above our own. Like this is, this is the way he designed, this is the way he's going to repair the things that are broken. Um, I... There's a C.S. Lewis quote that I love. It says, uh, I, think, I sometimes think that shame, mere awkward, senseless shame, does as much towards preventing good acts and straightforward happiness as any of our vices do. It's much easier for an enemy to make you feel like you're not enough than it is for him to outright tempt you to do something that's wrong. It's more subtle, but it's actually just as deadly. Earlier this summer, I spent a week in Cancun with some folks from this congregation, and I had a chance to meet someone who, was, who through her service, walked, created a bridge for someone who was sitting in darkness to come over into a place of light. So the, the person um, that I first met was a woman named Sandy. She's on staff with Back to Back, and she teaches in a community center in a very marginalized area where we serve. Cancun, you think of Cancun as beautiful beaches and all of that, but just a few miles off the ocean, that particular state, Quintana Roo, has the highest rates of suicide and divorce, teen pregnancy, um, I mean, a bunch of things. It's, it's kind of a hot mess down there. So we created a community center, a place where we could make space for God, for him to come and feel. And there are people that now serve in that community center, invite people that are hurting to come and receive services. So there was a woman in that community. Her name was Maria. And she was full of shame because she was a single mom. And that is, there was tons of shame she was describing to me, feeling like she wore a sign on her head that said, I've been left because someone else was better. She was very poor, and there's, there's a stigma and a, a, a pain that's hard to understand for the generational, the generational poor. And she was illiterate, and there was tons of shame in illiteracy. 
So she's like poor, single, and illiterate, living in this community. She interacts with someone on our staff who invites her to bring her children to take classes at the community center. And she told me, I was thinking, no way am I going over there because you know about Americans, all they want to do is take your babies. Like, I'm not going over there with those people. And she said, and furthermore, I didn't want to go to the community center because I thought you guys would make me fill out forms and it would be really obvious I didn't know what I was filling out and I didn't know how to read and write and it would be embarrassing. So there's no way I'm going over there. And so time passed and she stayed in a place of darkness. Then desperate because her eight-year-old son also couldn't read and was struggling in school and realizing she couldn't help him at home. She, she goes back to that person that reached out to her and said, fine. My kids can come to classes, but I'm not leave, letting them leave my sight. I'm standing outside of the classroom while you guys are with them. And the staff was like, okay. So the kids would go into a classroom, and she'd stand outside the door, essentially guarding them, standing in the hot Cancun sun. Sandy, the teacher of her children, realized how uncomfortable that would be to stand for that many hours in the sun. And so one day when Sandy came into class, she just left a chair outside for Marie to sit on. Sometimes service looks as simple as getting somebody a chair. So Maria came that day to class and she felt seen that somebody even noticed that she might be uncomfortable and she sat in the chair. Sandy told me she thought that Marie would probably fall asleep because like, it's like a break. And so she's sitting now. Maybe she'll just fall asleep. But Sandy, but Maria did not fall asleep. In fact, she could hear the lessons coming through the window in the classroom. And she started to sit on the edge of her seat trying to understand as Sandy was teaching her children how to read what it all meant. And so the next day when Sandy came in to class, she just left a notebook on the chair that she had left for Maria indicating to her, I see you. I see your curiosity to learn, and I want to participate in your story. So Maria began to take notes as Sandy was teaching her children from the outside of the classroom, and all of a sudden letters began to make sounds, and sounds began to make words, and words began to make sentences, and Maria began to read. And one of the requirements that we have if your children participate in classes at the community center is that the parents also have to take classes. They're about all kinds of things, finance and nutrition. And, but there's also a faith component. And Sandy said, because she's got a little bit of fire inside of her, I'm sorry, Maria said to her teacher, I don't want you people telling me what God says about who I am. I want to read it for myself. Now that I know how to read, give me one of your Bibles and I'll see what he says. And so somebody handed to Maria her first smart book. She began to open that up and read what it is that God said about her, who she was, her value, her identity, what he wants to do for her, what he has planned for her, what good gifts he has for her. And as those truths began to sink inside of a heart that was willing to receive them, Sandy, uh, Maria told me that she then uh, prayed to receive Jesus as her Lord and Savior. That was three years ago, and this last year she was baptized. Today she runs a small business where she makes goods that she sells in the market. And I visited her this summer, and she is nothing like how she described me before. She's a leader in her community, constantly hauling people out of their shacks where they sit in shame because they think nobody else understands the life that they live in. She tells them, oh, there's more for you. There's something for you. That, that service, the way that Sandy served Maria, created a bridge for her to go from darkness to light. And now Maria, in the light, is building bridges to other people in her community. And that's what service does. It weaves you into stories that are actually bigger than, than any of us could ever imagine. Do you know someone who's sitting today in darkness? Who maybe feels alone or discouraged or ashamed or afraid? 
You can't fix what's going on in their life. You can't fix their circumstances and you can't fix them. But you can start to serve them. You can reach out to them. You can create that bridge and watch them walk across it. That, that's the good news. Because when we serve others, we get into these stories that are bigger than us. In fact, they're bigger than even just like from this year to the next. I always say, I said to Maria when I said goodbye to her, I cannot wait to meet your grandchildren because they're going to tell stories about you. They're going to tell stories about the way in which you broke out of a life that you thought you had no choice to do so. They're, she's like, oh, I can't wait to meet my grandchildren too. There, I mean, she was, she's fiery. She's got it going on in her. And when I was talking to her, I said, you know what? In my family, we talk about my great-grandparents. In 1885, my great-grandmother, Lydia Sherman, was born into a family that didn't know anything about God. Someone shared with her as a teenager the truths of the smart book. And she came to understand Jesus as her savior. When it was time for her to go to college at the turn of the century, she told her dad she wanted to go to Cleveland Bible College, a university today that's called Malone University. She wanted to go to Cleveland Bible College. And he's like, no way, I don't even believe in that stuff. And if I did, I definitely wouldn't believe a woman should be a preacher. But she figured out how to do it on her own. She went on to graduate from Cleveland Bible College, and then she met and married my great-grandfather, Martin, who also was a graduate of Cleveland Bible College. And together they began to form a ministry in northern Ohio where they planted churches in rural communities. And the family lore is that she was a much better preacher than he was. So on Sunday mornings, she usually filled the pulpit, but on Sunday mornings, Martin would wake up before dawn and go into the local farms and help farmers complete their chores so they had enough margin on a Sunday morning to attend the service. And here I am, three generations later, I can stand in this pulpit and open this Bible because somebody told somebody who told somebody who taught me that a a woman can open the word of God with authority. And I stand here in a, speaking about service because somebody taught somebody who taught somebody who taught me that it is a good and right thing to wake up before dawn and minister to people to create margin in their lives so that they can hear the good news. Like when we decide to bring service into our life, we are not just impacting the story we're in, we're actually impacting the family that we live in and the generations that are yet to come. I think about... I mean, Mother Teresa and Dr. Korchak, their stories happened in the past. They're no longer with us, but yet still today serve as an inspiration for us. About three weeks ago, I was speaking on the west side of Cincinnati at a church in Cleves, and I took my 18-year-old son with me. He's just like your average, typical 18-year-old boy, right? And he was there helping carry some books I had, and he was just going to sit in the back, you know, because maybe he's heard mom talk a few times. And it was during worship of the first service, and I felt a tap on my shoulder, and I, I looked behind, and it was my son Josh, and he was handing me a Diet Coke, which is my vice of choice. And um, I thought when he walked away, like, it's just not normal. I mean, I now know he realized I didn't see mom with a Diet Coke. She does a whole lot better when she has one. He got in a car, drove to a grocery store in Cleves, bought a Diet Coke, drove back before worship was over, snuck on the front row and gave it to me. He's not like a spectacularly awesome kid. He's literally watched my husband do that 200 times. Like he watched an example and then he followed it. That's how, that's how service can be multifaceted. Like when we follow what the good book tells us to do and we serve in the way that it tells us to serve, there are so many benefits. 
There's all the immediate benefits to myself. I stop thinking about all the things that are hard about me. I get all the good neurotransmitters going on. Like, service is actually good for me. It's good for the person I'm serving, right? I'm loving or caring or praying or giving or going or doing or something for the person that I see. Giving them the message, you are seen and known and loved and there's hope and goodness ahead for you and I'm here with you and I'm, I see you and I'm in it with you. Like, there's goodness for them. Then there's this whole other third party of those who are watching us serve and how my service begets their service and their service begets their service and that impacts the next generation. And this is the way that the Lord said, we're going to heal the world. We're going to make crooked things come straight. There's this principle in the Old Testament, this idea of, of, of how life is supposed to happen inside of God's family. So I just want you to imagine back when the smart book was written, so when think like the book of Genesis, the very first book in the smart book. In Genesis, they lived in a patriarchal society, which means that the oldest son is the head of the house and everything in that family belongs to them. him. He has possession of every piece of pottery, sheep, bed frame. He has possession of everything in that extended family. However, all the responsibility falls on him too. So if something were to happen to someone in that family, it's his job to do whatever it takes to help that person come back home. So if like, you know, he has a little brother who has a child who falls in love with the wrong girl from the wrong tribe and he goes away, the process of getting that young boy back home into the father's house, that's that responsibility of that firstborn son. That idea is literally called to redeem, to bring something that was lost back home. It even is true if somebody in that family unit decided, they asked the big brother, hey, can I have, you know, something? And he says, no, there's not enough money for it. And you're like, that's not the right answer. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to sell a piece of our family pottery to get money on my own to buy what I really wanted that you said I couldn't have. When that head of that household finds out that that piece of family pottery is now outside of the family house, it's his responsibility to go back and get that piece of pottery and bring it back to the father's house. That process of bringing lost things back home is this funny little Hebrew word called goel, but it means to redeem, to be inside of God's family. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 21, God calls Israel his firstborn son. He says, I'm going to give you tons of resources. And here's what I want you to do with them. I want you to use the resources I give you to bring people who are outside of our family in. And sometimes throughout history, Israel did an awesome job at that. And sometimes throughout history, Israel did a terrible job at that. And so going into the New Testament, in the book of John, chapter 3, it says that he had to have another first begotten son, and that's Jesus. And he says, to you, Jesus, I'm going to give you all the responsibility and I'm going to give you all the resources. You have everything that you need to bring now people who are lost into my family. Go pay whatever ransom is required for people who are outside so that they can come home and come in. And probably my favorite passage that demonstrates this idea of service comes in Genesis chapter 18. There's this passage where Abraham, it says in the first part of that chapter, is sitting in the door of his tent. And we know he's sitting in the door of his tent because in chapter 17, he had just been circumcised. So he's just, you know, resting there. And it says that three strangers come over the hill. Like we don't get to just serve. Some of us, we could sit in a circle and I'd be like, is it easier for you to serve your family or is it easier for you to serve strangers? 
I think that poll would probably be 50-50 because sometimes it's easier to serve our own and sometimes it's easier to serve others. In this story, there were three others that came over the hill. The Bible tells us it was God and two angels, but Abraham didn't know that. He literally just saw three strangers come over the hill. He got up from his spot in the tent and he ran to them. So we already know that probably hurt him. Only three times in the Bible do men, old men like that run when the prodigal father goes after that son. The father goes after that prodigal son. When Esau chases after Jacob, and in this story where Abraham runs to the strangers, he gets to them, finds out that they're from another place, and it's his sole job, his sole desire to bring people who are outside the family in. So he yells back to his wife, Sarah, hey, Sarah, get three sayas of flour. Those sayas of flour, that represents about 75 pounds of flour. So I don't know if you've ever made flour from scratch, but that's a lot of that's a lot of bread if you're making it from 75 pounds of flour. He says, get 75 pounds of flour and let's make something for them. In essence, he's saying, let's get more than they need of the best stuff that we have because I want these three strangers to understand what life inside of this family looks like. I want them to know how it is God's family acts. And it's beautiful because in Matthew 13, Jesus would later quote this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took 75 pounds of flour. And when he talks about that parable, it's, he's referencing exactly back to that story because everyone in his audience would have known. The kingdom of heaven is like somebody who takes more than what somebody needs and gives it to them anyway. Because they're serving them with the, with the intent of making sure people know, I see you, I, I care about you, I want you. When you extend yourself for people outside of the family or in, I mean, gosh, we could just sit around for the next hour and talk about what it looks like to serve our spouses, what it looks like to serve our children, what it looks like to serve our in-laws. Like, right, like whether we're serving the people inside of our family or out, God has asked us to do so in this smart book of his. And when we do, we write ourselves into stories that are bigger than any of us. There are stories that are yet to come, stories that will be told now for the rest of eternity. And I wanted to invite up here to the stage someone inside of this community who has been weaving her life into some stories of service. So would you welcome with me to the stage, Amy Gardner. Amy, thank you for joining us on this morning when we're talking about service. And I, I'm just curious if you could just help us understand a little bit about what, what's your service journey look like? It would be my pleasure too. And it's wonderful to be up here with you. Beth has played a critical role in my journey. And so to explain that journey in front of you is really an honor. Um, I wish I could say that the smart book, I was sitting somewhere and like the light came down and God was like, go serve the children. Uh, but it was not that. Uh, I became a Christian as an adult and I had wonderful people around me that I trusted and these trusted people were reading this book and I saw them as successful and happy and joyous. And I also saw them serving. And the little bit I was looking in the Bible, I was like, yeah, it looks like that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, just as I am in life, I uh, thought, I better do that. 
Um, so out of obligation, I think I started serving, as embarrassing as that is to say now, but it just felt like that's what I was supposed to do. Um, and I was in the medical industry, still am, and so helping people and loving on people, that felt right. And so I started doing small service opportunities like food kitchens and different drives and things like that that you find to do. And an interesting thing happened, very similar to what you were describing up here today. My heart was full. Mm -hmm. The life that I found myself chasing on a normal day that was, how can I be more successful? How can I treat the most difficult patients? How can I write the next article? All of that just shrunk into a very small space and it was easy to be in that moment and be with that individual. Um, and about this point in the journey, I uh, met you and we went to Monterey and found myself in the uh, first orphanage I had ever been in. Um, and found myself with a wonderful group of women um, painting little girls' nails and hanging out with them in their dorms and pushing little boys on swings. And it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be at the orphanage. I thought it was like scrubbing the floors, doing something major. And I was like, is this really going to be the impact that I'm supposed to have? And through your teaching and looking to the smart book, and seeing that Jesus made impact through individuals, I figured out I was, mm -hmm. and that God found me there. And how has that impacted your family life? Or as I, I was just talking about other people watching you in your family or that next generation, how has service impacted your family? So really in thinking about this interview, um, I had to ask myself that question, like what is, what is really going on? So I went to my kids and I said, hey, why do you guys get up so early on Sunday and you want me to drive you to East Station so you can serve back there? And they kind of got quiet, but then they said, you know what, because it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's fun. And we get to do things that we normally don't get to do in life, like run tech and lead worship and have little kids look up to us. And so it was a very special moment of saying, you know what, it's as simple as that that in our everyday lives, whether it's at work, whether it's with my kids, with my husband, uh, with patients, um, it's about being in that one-on-one -on -one individual time, loving and feeling joyous from it and growing from it. And it doesn't have to be organized. It doesn't, no. I mean, it's beautiful when, when there are opportunities. I know that you have traveled to the happy church. Yes, and uh, that's another way that our family has really served and uh, found joy in serving is through Happy Church, which you guys may have heard about, uh, especially through our student ministry here that takes several trips a year. Um, experiencing Monterey and the orphanages there, I came back home and said, what is there here in America uh, that I could get involved in? And uh, found Happy Church, and we're now leading an awesome mission opportunity uh, around Christmas time, where we bring all the gifts actually that you guys all donate uh, when there's a Christmas tree in the back. Uh, we bring those gifts down, we wrap them, and we help that church team uh, prepare for their big Christmas party for all the kids that they serve in that area. Um, 
So, so much joy, so much love to be with these families. Uh, you can see some of the pictures going on in the background here. Kids of all ages learning to put together bikes and uh, put cookie packages together and just enjoy each other and enjoy God. So if you were going to encourage your Horizon family about looking for places that they might serve and the ways and the way that that's shaped you, what would you encourage them to do as next steps? I think uh, the Bible is an awesome, smart book, but maybe you're not as comfortable with that yet, but maybe you see people around you and the people you trust and love, engage in an activity with them, watch them, understand them, um, and just serve the person that's in front of you and love them and be open to what God can create there. Thank you. Let's pray for this community and all the opportunities that will be before you, even as you walk out of this room um, immediately and throughout the rest of the day and the week as opportunities come your way. Let's pray that we would just have ears to hear and uh, courage to step forward. Jesus, I thank you so much for just who you are. I thank you for the ways in which you have made this such a win-win-win, a win for the kingdom, a win in our own lives, a win for who we're serving. Lord, may we learn that your ways are always the win. May we look for them and not think of them as bitter pills or chores that we have to accomplish, but instead opportunities for things like light and fun and healing and relationship to come into our lives. Lord, give us eyes to see still yet today a place that we might enter into someone's story. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, ladies, and thank you, Beth. You know, as they were talking, I was thinking, you know, before we walk out those doors, I want to give you just a couple examples of ways that you could get connected to serving right here through our community at Horizon. And I hadn't thought about this ahead of time, but um, as Amy was sharing about why her kids serve and how much fun they think it is, one of her daughters was sitting here with her this morning before the services, and I asked her that question, and that is exactly the answer that she gave. So that's not just like a story. That's really like right now living today. And I also realized my daughter came with me this morning, and it's because two years ago when we started coming to Horizon, our kids saw Amy's kids and realized, kids can serve? That looks fun. Can we do that? Dad, can we do that? So definitely the way that you get connected it spreads, right? It's shared. It's something that uh, we all can get excited about. And so one of the ways that you can do this is actually making that technology we're talking about, instead of letting it separate you from others, let it bring you to others. And so either getting on your phone, getting on your laptop, and coming to horizoncc.com. Now, I know probably none of you need a tutorial in 2018 how to click stuff on the internet. (laughs) But if you've never been to our website, I just want to make sure you know everything that is available here. Um, Because you can see the stuff along the top, but there's a button that says Get Connected. And that will show you uh, things like study groups, um, things like serving opportunities, stuff about baptism or ways to get involved here. Uh, But there's also one right here that just says right from the front page, Serving Opportunities. And if you click that and you begin to scroll down, there's a few options. Serving right here at Horizon, serving locally, you know, things like City Gospel Mission, preparing meals right here in Cincinnati and being a part of some of those kinds of things, and then serving globally. And so that's some of what Beth has shared about uh, with you today. You can see there it mentions back-to-back ministries, that that's a place that we have partnered. Uh, Also a group called Partners for Belize um, that we've been a part of to do trips. You can see one of our teams in the picture here. And as you scroll down, you know, you can read more information You can also drop down this menu box, find out about back-to-back, find out about Partners for Belize, find out about the medical trips that we do, global serving opportunities that give you a chance 
to see how much fun it really is to focus less on yourself and to begin to serve others or to continue to take maybe even a deeper step into what serving looks like. I know that was something in my own life that I skipped for a long time. I thought, God, as long as I kind of like behave myself, we're good, right? And missed out on just how awesome this is. So if you've been missing out on this, even today, it's going to feel like walking out. I don't know if I have time for that today. Take some time for that today. Explore the website, click some of those things, but also Beth is actually going to be at a table uh, across from the fireplace out in the atrium, as well as uh, Pastor John who can talk to you about the Belize trip and a number of other things that go on around here. I'd invite you, if there's even just a little piece of you that is saying right now, I wonder, would you come to that table and just ask and we'd love to get to know you. So thank you for being here for Smart Book today. Think about how you might be serving and connecting to others and we'll see you back next week. Thanks for coming.